Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Behind the Racket Pod. The podcast taking you behind the racket with today's top tennis players and biggest issues facing the sport. Behind the Racket is a community to give fans and players in the world of tennis the opportunity to open up like they have never done before. Visit BehindTheRacket.com for the latest stories, merch, as well as direct links to all of the latest podcasts. It can also be found on iTunes, Google Play, Pandora, Stitcher, and wherever you find your podcasts. Download the episodes and make sure to leave a review. And we want you to be a part of the conversation. Find me at NoahRubin33 or Mike at Mike C Tennis on all forms of social media. You can also learn more at BehindTheRacket.com or MikeCTennis.com. Special thanks to my sponsor, New Balance. Visit their latest shoes and styles at NewBalance.com and learn more about their program of giving back at hashtag NBGivesBack. You can also help support the podcast by visiting Patreon.com slash BehindTheRacketPod and receive rewards from our travels around the world. And now. Well, as you can hear, we have done some changes. Uh, we have a new name, Behind the Racket Pod. We have new music. Uh, I'm more excited about that than anything else, frankly. Um, but a- as you're joining us here, we have obviously changed everything we're doing here in terms of the outside. The inside really hasn't changed. We're going to continue to bring you some of the 15 all, 15 minutes inside Noah Rubin's heads, and also these big interviews that we like to have. And and we're starting today with Ernesto Escobedo, who was the first guest for you, Noah, on Behind the Racket back when you started last year. Yeah, uh, it means a lot. You know, I first want to thank you for allowing me to change the name. I know Mm -hmm. for a lot of people it might not mean as much, but you built something from the ground up and you were nice enough to bring me in. And I want people to know just how big a part you are of Behind the Racket. And you know, it's not just me. I want them to think of, of you as well. No pressure now. You no, can't be not. as much of an asshole. Well. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, we have uh, Ernesto Escobedo uh, lined up, and it's really exciting. I mean, like you're going to hear, he was my first. He was the one that took the step not knowing what it was going to mean for him, and it really set the stage for what was to come. We're also not going to spend a lot of time uh, berating you with social media post about this but we've also launched a patreon account um, which you can find patreon.com slash behind the racket pod um, we we've put it at a pretty low level you can help us and support us for as low as one dollar a month um, and the reason is because we know that um, there are lots of fantastic podcasts that are also asking for your money um, we're trying to just see if we can get some new microphones and also see if we can get me to a couple of different tournaments as well to provide some more interviews and, and for me to be, a um, much like Noah, a little pest inside the ears of some of these top players so that we can get them on the podcast as well as um, behind the racket itself. Yeah, we have a lot of exciting things coming up and I want Mike to be a part of them, you know, when he's not obviously commentating the USTA Pro circuit. So yeah, we have a lot of cool things and... and you know, a lot of cool prizes for uh, helping us out as well. You know, there's, there's a lot. You have to go check it out. And we appreciate any and all support. And now, on to our interview with Ernesto Escobedo. 
As we are resuming the podcast in a brand new form, the Behind the Racket pod, we are joined by the man who was the first ever guest on Behind the Racket, Ernesto Escobedo. Neto, thank you for joining us. It's it's obviously been very difficult for the three of us to come together on the time. To <laughs> it's make an this honor. Happen, but... <laughs> uh, but we're happy that we're able to do it. So thank you. Uh, th- thanks for having me. And... Thanks about these a lot. No, I'm I'm really excited. I mean, like Mike was saying, first guest, ah, here I am. This is over a year ago now, creating this platform that nobody had any idea what it is. And Ernesto is brave enough, has the balls to say, okay, let's do this. I wouldn't say brave. Let's let's do this. I mean, I was going to ask him serious questions, (laughs) (laughs) but it was uh, it was really exciting, and uh, I'm glad we get to kick this off with him. No, thank you. Well, I I think it is brave, Neto. I actually I completely agree with with Noah's um, use of the word brave because that's that's not something that's easy to talk about for people who haven't read it. Talking about stuttering that you dealt with at a younger yeah. age, I actually dealt with it myself a little bit. Um, why did you decide to kind of take that leap, take that jump, and and take a chance being the first guest on Behind the Racket? <laughs> I mean, it was in Newport Beach. Noah, he came up to me and he was like, yo, can I ask you a couple questions? And then I was just open to it, you know? And then once he asked me about the stutter question, I was like, I'm already here, so why not, you know? (laughs) No, I mean, I didn't know where I was going to go with it. I didn't know how it was going to be. I just knew that Neto and I have gone... God, it's been a lot of years together at this point, and I felt open enough, I felt comfortable enough to ask that question. So he put me in the position, you know, to feel open with it. And the fact that he was able to look me in the eyes and talk about it freely, I mean, a lot of players, even to this day, even after a year of doing it over a hundred times, still a lot of players aren't as brave as you. So again, I am forever grateful for you um, for starting it out this way. And look where we are now. Oh, thanks, man. Oh, for sure. Um, when you look back at, at saying that um, and, and talking about stuttering, ha- has it changed at all in terms of how people interact with you? Have you felt, um, has anybody brought it up to you in the last year? Uh, not, I mean, I think Nicole Gibbs uh, contacted me through in, in Instagram a couple times, you know. But besides that, like not a, not, not too many people, you know. Yeah, it's still, it's it's a difficult thing to yeah. talk about. I think um, I think people still get pretty uncomfortable, even though you've kind of bared your soul in a way to to kind of bring up yeah. these difficult <laughs> issues, right? You know, I I have to say, once I posted it and started getting the reactions, I even told Ernesto. I mean, there was people contacting me. Hmm. Maybe they were shy and didn't want to contact Ernesto directly, but contacting me and saying, you know, my son slash daughter has a stutter. You know, in the tennis world, now we have a new person to look up to. Here we have Ernesto Escobedo, who's doing it with a stutter, getting interviewed all the time. You have new fans. You had, you know, you were a role model with so many people. And, you know, when people say I'm a role model, I know Mike likes to make sure people don't view me as a role model. But, you know, we are at times. And here you had a whole new group of fans. And that's when I knew just how valuable that first interview was. Yeah, I mean, growing up, it was always a problem, I would say, but it was nothing to, I mean, I never really like, um, how do you say it, like, I always faced it, you know, I mean, on the court, off the court, like with friends, like, like, 
with people, you know, so it, it's, it's something that I'm pretty comfortable about. I'm not scared to talk about it. I mean, it is what it is, you know, everybody has like their own, like a little bit of an embarrassing thing, I, I would say, but I'm, I'm not scared about it or like, yeah, I mean, it doesn't phase me, you know. When, when you first started coming onto the challenger level, um, and I remember some of the first interactions you and I had, um, and I thought you were a pretty shy guy. Uh, and then I remember one time you, you in Charlottesville, Virginia, Neto, you brought me a sandwich, um, which I thought was one of the nicest things because I, I don't know that I'd really interacted with you um, very much. And uh, are you a shy person? Uh, I'm not a shy. I'm not a shy guy. I mean, <laughs> he's not. At a tournament, I'm completely different, you know? I'm, I'm just all about business. I'm there, play my matches, stretch, go work out, and, and that's it, you know? But at the house with, with my friends, I'm the furthest thing from a side guy. I, I just see, like, my tennis as a business career, you know? And I'm not there to, like, fool around, to, like, talk to 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 a lot of people, I would say. Mm. So I don't think I'm shy. And, you know, going off that and kind of going into the next topic a little bit, I don't know if you remember, and, you know, you could stop me if you don't want to talk about this, but we're in Chicago now. It was the Oracle tournament in Chicago. It was the only year they had it. Ernesto comes up to me in the elevator and basically asked, how did I get over some of my moments of losses, of you know, consecutive losses, which I did have. I lost eight matches in a row following, and then I won Tallahassee. So he's asking me how I got by that. And here I am, you know, thinking about, you know, how to make a difference. And here this player is not afraid to come up to me and ask for advice when obviously I don't have all the answers, but he again used the word brave, was open enough to say, you know can I find help somewhere else? And, you know, he came up to me and I basically said, Ernesto, you're doing fine. It's going to take some time. You have a few matches in a row. I know you're going to find it. And then here we are, a couple changes Ernesto makes, possibly coaching advice, just a little comfort. And you find yourself in a whole nother place that you were a year ago and kind of run us through, you know, how from that time in Chicago to uh, getting the wild card. Man, I was in a really dark place, like on and off the court. I mean, I felt like nobody or like anything was going like my way, you know. I was working super hard, but the wrong way. I mean, so that was the biggest challenges for me, you know, and just not dwelling on losses, you know. I mean, it's a long season. What, like, I would say, obviously, you would win like maybe two challengers a year at max, you know two or three and that's it and the uh, other weeks like you are like losing you know so it's a long season and just not not dwelling on your losses just helped me so much you know and a lot and who was the advice that you really took it from was it any real changes obviously we know the coaching changes took place um but you know what was the biggest difference for you you know team wise the biggest difference for me i mean first of all was to look at myself in the mirror and then ask myself what do i want in life like what 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 do i want do i want to be a mediocre player or 
or, or like a top 10 player, you know? So then I really asked that to myself. And then, and then after that, it was how, how can I do it? How can I do it? So, so, so that's when I, I, I talked to my dad about it. And then he told me, you, you need a private coach and a private trainer. So then this was last April or March, I believe. That's I hired Jan, Jan Mike, you know, Jan Mike, and then he helped me pretty much like the full time of last year. I mean, I told myself it, it, it's going to be very expensive, but at, at the same time, it's a great investment for me. What what is the personality difference between Jan Michael Gamble, who you're working with now, and um, Peter Lucasen, who you were working with beforehand? What has the difference in their personalities? What's it brought out of you? I just felt like I uh, I relied too much on Peter. You know, I mean, he, he was a great with, great coach with me. I, I've known him since I was like 14 years old. But I just felt like it was a little bit too much talking and not enough practice time on and off the court, you know. And then Jan came in and then he, he just made everything simple. I mean, I'm a very simple guy, you know. One or two words and that's it. That's it. Just put your head, head down and just work your ass off. So last year, I played two tournaments in Mexico, and then after that, I had a talk talk with Jan, and then he told me, no tournaments for two and a half months. Mm. Nothing, nothing on the clay, nothing on the grass. We're we're gonna start our first tournament in July, and f- for me to accept that for two and a half months, not playing tournaments. <laughs> And you're healthy. It's not I like you're right. injured. Yeah, I was healthy. And then I told Jan, but I'm healthy. But then he told me, well, you suck. You suck right now. Like, just <laughs> straight up, dude. Like, straight up. It was... <laughs> so, me just facing that, it was uh, a big challenge for me, you know? A very big challenge. Um, you went through, you know, getting to 67 in the world. Um, July of 2017 was the career high. I have seen over my many years so many players, countless players who have gotten into that top 100 for the first time at a young age, and then it, it, it go through these type of struggles that you've talked about here. What would you say to a young player now who's getting into the top 100 for the first time? Um, what would you say to them about how to handle that success when they first achieve it? And Noah. <laughs> you guys are too much man. um i would say you have to just focus on the plan that's it don't worry about wins or losses just focus on your goals and your plan my biggest mistake was once i got to six in the world um too many people came came, came up to me you know a lot of you know agents sponsors and i was kind of like I wasn't really focusing on my tennis, but at, at, at the same time, I was hurt too, you know, which was a big thing in my life. I mean, I should have stopped playing for like two months and just and just got healthy rather than like just playing every, every single week. I made it worse, you know, but as a player, just keep it simple, do the, do the basics well and just focus on your goals and that's it. It's very I... simple, you know. You know, for somebody who has not been 100 in the world yet, top 100 in the world, what kind of pressures 
are you looking at? I mean, you talk about the sponsors and everything, but ranking wise and tournament wise, what kind of pressure do you feel going to each tournament now that, you know, maybe you play a challenger and you're going to be first seed almost every challenger, you know, you run us through that a little bit. Was, was this during like my downfall or? No, no. When you're 60 in the world, when you're 67 in the world, what do you feel like playing tournaments? It must, you know, it's a different feel than when you're 220 or it's a different feel. I mean, playing Wimbledon or like Granby Challenger, you know, <laughs> it, 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 it's a big difference. You know, it's a really big difference. But at the same time, you have to teach yourself to like have the same mentality. It doesn't matter if it's the if it's your park or if it's the U.S. Open. You have to have that same mentality going forward. Do you think that you had that at the time? At that time, no, I didn't. Just, I mean, it was a lot of pressure on me, you know, going from 260 to 67 in the world, like in the flash. I mean, growing growing up as a junior, it was never like the Escobedo. It, it was always like the Fritz. It was always the Opelka. Or the Cation. The, like the TFOs, you, you know? So, and then all of a sudden, all eyes on me i didn't really take it that well i would say do you 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 had such a different uh way of doing your juniors um in, in terms of yeah. not necessarily as many international events as as the guys you just mentioned um why did you do that? Why did you and your family go that route? And what impact has it had on your professional career? I mean, for sure. I mean, I I wouldn't have changed a thing. I think it was the best decision for for, for me just, just to stay home, just because I'm really close to my family. I'm really close to my parents, and I felt like at that age, at like fourteen, fifteen, it was going to be tough for me just to say bye to my to my parents for, for like two three months but that's when i made a commitment to my dad saying hey let's not travel let's just stay stay here home but i promise you every day i'm gonna work my ass off hmm. so i'm gonna work my ass off at like two a days on on the court off the court like every single day for like four or five years and i felt like that was the biggest thing for me for sure I think uh, a lot of juniors, and you know, I talk about this, obviously, as we're FaceTiming you, we see how gorgeous the weather is. In New York, I'm not that fortunate. Pretty nice, right? <laughs> but, you know, I talk to a lot of people and I say, you could work hard anywhere. You really can. If you, if you want it, you can put in the work anywhere. And if you're comfortable, if you want to be home with family, if you want to be... Make it happen. It is on you. So I think a lot of parents have this idea that I have to send them to blah, blah, blah. And obviously, I mean, you're 67 in the world and you're going to get back there. You don't need that. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, everyone's different, you know, everyone's different. I was, I mean, it, it was a, a tough talk to my family just like stay stay here at home but maybe for another player he, he does have, have 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 to travel young you know but i felt like at that age i was pretty mature already to the point that i felt like i just didn't have to play itf in south america in europe you know 
Um, you, you mentioned your family, um, and and this is always kind of a difficult question for the whitest guy in, in America to ask. Um, but as somebody who comes from a different nationality, I, I can say that about myself. It's okay. I'm very, very oh, white. Oh, you're white as fuck. I'm white as, as I'll get out. Um, but as somebody who has a, a different heritage, uh, especially one that maybe um, is not necessarily the, the most rich in, in terms of tennis history, um, do you feel any pressure uh, as being of, of someone who is from a Hispanic descent and, and what that can mean for tennis in, in various areas, not only just in the U.S., but through Central America? In Mexico, for sure. I mean, it's a pressure, but at the same time, it's a privilege. It's a privilege to like have dual citizenship. You know, it's a privilege. I mean, I I carry that strong on my shoulders. I mean, I'm I'm trying to like make make my family proud and then inspire a lot of kids. You know, in Mexico, like to play tennis. You know, but I just feel like. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough thing to talk about. I would say just because in the, in this country, they see us as like people, like 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 very low people. I would say, mm-hmm. but at the same time, we do work so hard in in this country that I don't take any anything like it like like for granted. It's a gift. It's a privilege. I mean, you were always mature. I can attest to that. But, you know, you just sound different now. And, you know, we see you giving back uh, to Mexico, to communities that are close to you. What's in store for Ernesto besides tennis, which, you know, we were hoping to see a lot of you. What's what's in store after that for Ernesto? I mean, I, I haven't thought about it, but as of <laughs> now, it's just tennis, you know, but for sure, I mean, like my biggest goal is, is to have, have a school in Mexico that like pays for everything, like <laughs> studies, sports, all, all all those things. Just because I feel like there's so many, there's so much talent there, you know. I feel like there's so much talent, and maybe I could be like that person that uh, inspires them. Has there ever been a point where you you have thought about playing under the Mexican flag and and what that would potentially mean? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say t- two years ago, like when I was sixteen in, in the world, I was very close to switching. I was super, very close, but then you know, I mean, I don't want to get into politics, all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> You'd miss me too much. <laughs> Just say I don't want to get into. Just politics. say you'd miss me too much. It would be too long of a trip to see me. I get it. <laughs> it's too far to see Noah. <laughs> to talk to Mike. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, there there was a time. Just things didn't happen. I I I didn't feel comfortable of switching at at that time. But you never know. You never know what could happen. What has it been like when you do play in Mexico in terms of interacting with fans, interacting with, with children especially? It's amazing. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's incredible. I mean, playing there is, is amazing. I've always enjoyed playing there. Every time that I play in, in Mexico, like, like my whole family shows up 
20, 30 people show up hmm. and just start screaming in, in my matches. So it's awesome. It's great. That's funny it. because you- when, when Noah ever is in New York, he just sits there and just like, oh, all these people come and there's pressure. <laughs> oh, my goodness. No, and you're, you're I have just a saying- really funny story. I have a really funny story. <laughs> I hope Kozlov doesn't hear this. <laughs> but it was in Acapulco like three years ago. I was playing in the first round. And like my family shows up, you know, a big banner, a huge banner, crazy banner. Like they seriously think it's a soccer match. You know, <laughs> so every point they're just screaming. It doesn't matter if I won or, or lost a point, they're screaming. And I could just like see Kozlov's eyes, like he was like, I I wouldn't say scared, but f- for sure a little bit. <laughs> He's like, get me out of here. <laughs> he was like, get me out of here in that first. Really <laughs> crazy match. Was this main draw qualities? This was main draw. You guys played main draw first. I don't even remember that. Yeah, three years ago, exactly three years oh. ago. Yeah, Kaz is like, no thanks. <laughs> yeah, he's like, no thanks. But like, so so many people showed up. Like, yeah, it was crazy. So, do you take a tournament in Mexico or do you take like an Indian Wells? What are we taking, Acapulco or Indian Wells? I mean, it's a tough one. But <laughs> Indian Wells for now, huh? <laughs> Indian Wells for now. Uh, with with what you've accomplished so far in your career, um, how do you? set goals at this point how do you look big picture while also focusing on what's directly in front of you over the next several months wait hold up look my my stupid dog <laughs> yo come here wait wait hey, come here. i believe we're getting uh time with the dog now this is exciting <laughs> my dog just loves the bar again <laughs> Nah, it's crazy. He's crazy. <laughs> Anyways, goals, um, short term, long term. I'm 23 right now. I see myself established by 25. You know, so I'm I'm taking it slow. I'm not gonna rush into it. I mean, I'm, I'm just fo- focusing every day. You know, like like on the goals and my practices, off the court too. So that's how I see myself in, in the next year and a half. So you are now working with Eduardo, um, and, and you started a few months ago. How has that changed your game? What What are the things that you guys are working on right now? I mean, we seriously started just like three weeks ago in in Dallas, hmm. and after Australia, I, I I didn't have a coach, and I felt like I I did have to invest in one, so. I met him, we talked about it, and then it's been great since. I mean, he's more of a fitness coach, but, but at the same time, he, he, he like knows a lot about tennis. He played college, too, in tennis. So, of course, he like knows a lot, but he's like helping me more on the fitness side of things. Yeah, I think a lot of people, you know, obviously a coach is extremely helpful. Everybody in the world, except for the rare Federer, Kyrgios has a coach. But I found myself at times being very comfortable if I have somebody at home that helps me with coaching, but just having that friend or physio with you on the road can really help the mental and, and help you through the weeks, especially, I mean, a physio is super important for us. Um, I mean, I think that's a that's a great choice for you. I think I've, I saw you working out in Dallas, and and I think that could be really helpful. I don't think a lot of juniors understand that part of it is that you don't always need a coach with you on the road. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, and for me, like my tent, like my tennis style is super physical. Anyway, I mean, I hit the ball hard and I just go for it, you know. So, a fitness trainer now is just like helping me a lot. It's helping me so much. I mean, I feel so much fitter. It's been great. Yeah, I was gonna say if you need somebody to help, I was gonna. Your forehand's not big enough yet. It, it isn't, dude. I hit no, it a lot bigger. Uh, no, a lot bigger with a lot more spin. Like it's too slow right now. <laughs> it's way too slow. Like I gotta pick it up. And also. And, and I like to say that I'm pretty athletic. Mike is, that's like the only thing Mike compliments me on anyway. But You're for people shit, that are, are listening, Ernesto Escobedo can throw a perfect spiral with right. both his right hand and his left hand. Really? And it's insane. It's insane. Like I could throw a football, but he could throw a perfect spiral with right and left hand. <laughs> and it, I still don't get it. Are, are, you, are you actually ambidextrous? Can you I'm hit? not. I taught myself. <laughs> okay, let I me just myself. let me just throw this throw this out here. Have you ever actually focused on hitting left-handed forehands? Yeah, and I could hit it pretty well, but I just I taught I taught like myself, you know, like to use more of my left hand, mm. and I felt like the coordination. I mean, it's a crazy story. Like when I was eight years old, like my dad gave me a full-size football. A full-size football, NFL football. I was eight years old. Right. And then I told him, what the fuck is this? Like, and then he, he just told me, teach yourself how, how to throw it with your right and your left arm. I was like, okay. A full-size football at that age. I mean, I get hitting lefty forehands, but throwing a lefty spiral <laughs> when you're not I know. Dexterous is is insane. Like, that's like, you'll just see it. It took years of practice. It took years of practice. I mean, you never know. I mean, if I quit tennis, I could play for the Chargers <laughs> or the Rams here, you know? I was at Indian Wells. I you never know. Fascinating. I, I, you were just throwing the ball, and I was like, wait, can I just – were you in the mirror? What was that? <laughs> and I don't say that because a lot of tennis players are really not that athletic. They're really good tennis players. Yeah. But to crazy. be athletic is very – is you know, is a gift. And when I saw that, I was like, God – Damn, I have to practice. <laughs> <laughs> well, Neto, we really appreciate this um, because, as we mentioned, you know, behind the racket, what it's meant for Noah, I don't know that it would have um, really taken off had it not been for a story kind of like yours at the beginning. And I, I think you should be applauded. That was quite brave. Um, and we're also greatly honored that you chose to be with us on the first edition of the Behind the Racket pod. So thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much, guy. Thank Take you, Neto. Forever grateful. <laughs> the show might be over, but the conversation isn't. Join us on social media at NoahRubin33, at MikeCTennis, and at Behind the Racket. Expect new episodes every Monday or Tuesday. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. It really helps us expand and reach more listeners as we take you Behind the Racket.
Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. 